0: Well, we are picking up in Genesis forty-seven from the last time. So, if you would turn, open your Bibles to Genesis forty-seven, and I'll begin reading in verse thirteen through the end of the chapter, leaving just three chapters in the book of Genesis and in the study. Here, the word of. The living God. And remember, as you just heard, whatever my God ordains is right. Because he is always good. He is always faithful. Always. He cannot be not good. He cannot be unfaithful. For that would be to deny who he is. That would be to change And he is immutable, unchanging. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe. So that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. But Joseph answered, give your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of, of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land, by us in our land for food And we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, that our land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priest did he not buy, for the priest had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field and as food for yourselves and your households and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, as it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years, So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him, then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Thank you, O Lord God, for your word. It is our food. We have in it our hope because it tells of Jesus. And Jesus is our life. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the resurrection and the life. And in Him do we trust. Not in our own works, for they are nothing. They are sinful. They are inadequate. We trust exclusively the works of Christ. We have been bought with a most precious price, and therefore we are His gladly. Let us walk. As those who are his, let us be faithful, O God, turning away from sin and and foolish ways, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, not following youthful passions, but being faithful, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, looking full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth shall grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Well, we previously looked, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, at the extraordinary meeting, at least in my way of seeing it, between two extraordinary men, two great men, though obviously very different men, Jacob and Pharaoh. And at that time, you may recall from verse 9, Jacob was 130 years old. And now in verse, we just read it a few moments ago, in verse 28, is 147. So 17 years summarized in 19 verses. What's that tell us? Well, it tells us once again that the book of Genesis and all of the Old Testament is not about mere history. It's not a, a historical record per se, as you might run to the library or pick a book off your own shelf and read the history of America or Europe or the Civil War or something else. It's about the history of redemption. It's about the history of the kingdom of God. Now remember that Genesis was originally written for Israel. They had left Egypt, the place of their slavery, and they were on their way to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. And God wanted them to be certain because they weren't certain, were they, in the wilderness, he wanted them to know that he keeps his promises. He is a faithful God. He is a good God. He made a promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and he will be faithful. He's always faithful. And we also, all these years later, can read the text, any text of the Bible, and know that we can live by faith. We can trust our God, whatever our circumstances, whatever our needs, whatever God ordains is right. Susan and Gene will be the first ones to tell you, whatever God ordains is right. He is faithful. He is good. He will do all that He has said He will do. Now, Jacob had previously told Pharaoh that his life had been hard. He said, few and evil have been the days of my life. And, of course, in a sense, he was right. We, we talked about that the last time. His life span would be shorter than the years of his fathers, Abraham and, and Isaac. And he was a wanderer, never really home For long, I told you he was sort of like a military brat, uh, so-called, you know, wandering to and fro from city to city. He had a difficult time. Uh, So in many ways that was true, but in many ways he was very, very wrong. Because God's blessing had been with him. And God's blessing was still with him in the present tense. And all those things, remember the circumcision, he said, All these things are against me, woe is me! My life is so hard. And all those things that he thought were against him were, in fact, for him. God was working out his plan for Israel's good. I want you to be sure to notice in our text this morning the stark contrast between Israel and Egypt. Egypt. Our text began in a, just on a severe note in verse 13. There was no food in all the land for this, the famine was that severe. We have never known such a crisis, such a national crisis. Uh, you know, we can always run out to the grocery store and buy food, and if we're that impoverished, we get food stamps, and then we can afford steaks and things like that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we have. Has there ever been a day when Americans have been without food? I don't know. Maybe during the Civil War. Of course, it was pretty, pretty tough in the South. But we have never known such a life-threatening crisis. And so. At first, the Egyptians were able to purchase grain from Joseph. They couldn't grow crops themselves. They couldn't provide for themselves as was their, their lifestyle, their way for many, many years and generations. But they could still eat because they could purchase from the supply that Joseph had accumulated over, remember, the seven years of plenty. There was such an abundance as God had prophesied, as God had told, that there The storehouses were filled to the top and perhaps overflowing. And they could buy food from Joseph. But then their money ran out. You know, it's like they say the the month was longer than the money. (laughs) And so Joseph offered to sell them grain in exchange for their livestock. And this was a kindness not just to them that they could continue eating, they could continue having food for their tables, but it was really a, 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 a mercy to their livestock because they would, if they couldn't feed themselves, how could they feed their livestock? And so Joseph kept the animals alive as well. But the day came when they had no more animals to sell to Joseph. They had just their land and, of course, their own ability, their own physical strength to work the land. They still had that. And so the land became pharaohs. And they became servants or slaves of pharaohs to work the land. And yet Joseph was still kind to them. Know that. In all this, Joseph is being kind. He is a life giver. He is a life preserver. He's not a life taker. Because laboring on what was now Egyptian land... They got to keep four-fifths, 80% of what they harvested for themselves, for their own families, for their own tables, for their own, I guess they didn't have any animals left, I don't know, or I guess they had borrowed animals. They kept four-fifths, 80% on what was Pharaoh's land. And that was above the average at that time, which was one-third. They were able to give only one-fifth. And so Joseph had done exactly as God had said. He had preserved life. He was preserving life. Not just Israel's, but Egypt's as well. He was preserving Egypt's life. We saw just a moment ago what they said and how grateful they were. You have saved our lives. They were so happy, so pleased. You have saved our lives. Joseph had rescued them from the ravages Of the famine but don't fail to notice that Joseph saved them in different ways Joseph saved Israel by giving them the best of the land and providing food for them without cost maybe it's we don't read that we doesn't say Food without cost? I probably guess that. But Egypt was saved by Joseph offering them slavery after they had lost everything. Joseph saved them both, but in different ways. Keep in mind, this was being written to Israel in the wilderness, and I imagine it probably rung very strange in their own ears because... They had just come from, what, years of being slaves in Israel. And yet they're reading about the Egyptians being slaves to, to Joseph, an Israelite? Israel being prosperous and free. The tables had turned. And I think for this reason, the final verses of this chapter, verses 27 through 31, would have been very important to Israel in the wilderness. Because again, where were they heading? They were on a journey. They had left. Egypt was behind them. They had crossed the Red Sea in that miraculous way. Where were they going? Canaan. The promised land. The good land that God had promised. They were seeking the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. For He had promised that they would be a great nation, they'd be exceedingly fruitful that he would that Abraham would be a blessing to the nations and he would give God would give his descendants that land this land where Abraham was at the time the land of Canaan and so even while Israel was in Egypt God's promise was being fulfilled and so Israel in the wilderness Israel in the stru- days of struggle could be certain that god is still good god is still going to fulfill his promise we live in the wilderness god will fulfill his word god is always good but god's promise to abraham you've heard me say this before i'm pretty sure uh, harkens back to god's command at the beginning of the bible to adam and eve Back in Genesis 1, verse 28, we read God blessed them. They were a blessed people, Adam and Eve were. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we know that Adam and Eve, man and woman, were created last of all the created, of all the creatures, of all the created beings. To be the greatest of all the created beings, to multiply and have dominion over all of creation, that is to extend the garden, the kingdom of God, to the ends of the earth. But of course, sin meant that they couldn't do it. They were cast out, they themselves were cast out of the garden, even though they were clothed with the garments of salvation, if it, as it were. And so we know that the command became. A promise because Adam and Eve could no longer do it. They had sinned. And so the command to be fruitful and multiply became a promise. God said, I will do it. Consider again the language of God's promise to Abraham I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. The gospel is God's I will. I will. You can't do it. You cannot do it. And so God says, I will do it. I will do it. In spite of the worldwide famine today, and I'm speaking about the desolation of sin, the idolatry, the corruption, the worldwide famine, the church, that is the new Israel, will prosper Because Jesus is the antitype of Joseph. Joseph being the type looking to the antitype, which is Jesus. Because Jesus is the bread of life. I'll come back to that in a minute. But it's because of God's covenant of grace that the command to be fruitful and multiply will be fulfilled. Because of God's, I will do it. Notice again, this is marvelous. Jacob's family gained possessions during these years. They gained possessions. They were exceedingly fruitful while Egypt lost everything. They lost their animals. They lost their money. They lost their land and became slaves. And yet, Jacob's family were prosperous and gained possessions. It's marvelous. And yet this is just a partial or preliminary fulfillment of God's promise. A greater fulfillment would, be, would come much later. And you know that Israel would become an even greater multitude as they would leave Egypt in the days of the Exodus. That's how Exodus starts out. Exodus 1 was this vast multitude, even, even, even greater, even larger, even larger. And yet, go down the road in history and during the days of David and his son Solomon, Israel would become this vast people living in a vast land. And yet, and yet the greatest fulfillment of that is going to wait until our days. The days of the new covenant, these last days when the kingdom of God will advance to the ends of the earth and the church is found everywhere among distant peoples, little tribes, and not just meeting in buildings like this, nice, but little shacks, sometimes with no walls, sometimes under a tree, which I've seen in Africa people of different skin colors and languages different in, different instruments playing to the lord it's marvelous marvelous to see god's kingdom is advancing his will is being done he's gathering his people he is fulfilling his word beloved it's amazing amazing the people of god the people of abraham are becoming as he says in revelation 7 A great multitude that no one could number. Who could number the church today? From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, the church is fruitful in the famine. And it's spreading to the ends of the earth. Beloved, God's plan from the very beginning of time is mission. Mission. Adam and Eve were to be engaged in mission. And now that Christ has accomplished salvation and reconciled us to God, the church is to engage in mission. That's one of our most important functions. Mission. Even our worship is unto mission. It must be. And I hope it can be more and more over the next months and years. Yes, worship is an end of itself. God must be worshiped. God must be glorified. We must exalt our God. And yet missions exist because the worship of the true God doesn't. What worship is out there? The worship of idols. The worship of false gods. The worship of self. And so the call of missions is to forsake sin, to forsake idols, and to worship and bow down before the true God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. All the world is languishing in a famine, a famine of hearing the Word of God. The Word of God is not yet being proclaimed everywhere. Everywhere. And the world is languishing without God and without hope. So we, in our worship, we declare the glory of God. And we invite starving sinners, languishing in the famine, to come. To come to the banquet which Jesus has prepared for us. The banquet which we are presently enjoying Come to that banquet and feed upon Jesus this bread which is true bread and this drink which is true drink and never be thirsty, never be hungry again. That is what we are doing. That is our role. For Jesus, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There is never a famine for the people of God. As we are united with this Giver of life, as we dwell in His presence, we're never apart from Him, never apart from His life-giving grace. The food which is real food and drink which is real drink. And so for now, worship and mission are joined together. The church has to know and the church has to declare that true prosperity... Is knowing God. Is walking with Jesus. Is clinging to Jesus. Is that vine, is that branch being attached to the vine. See, the world has switched the price tags. Children, youth, don't be deceived. The world has switched the price tags. And they highly value things which really don't have any value. See these beautiful cars out here? Go to a junkyard. I, I think these, maybe I'm, maybe I'm weird. I know I'm weird, okay. Let's not forget that. I go to junkyards. I don't go there. I pass by, you know, Joe's Auto Salvage or whatever it is and i used to think but that used to be someone's treasure it was this beautiful brand new car and they polished it and loved it and drove it and it was it was someone's pride and joy it sat in the church parking lot like this maybe and now it's just squished you know a piece of junk you know go to some place and you have rags it used to be someone's i just got this you like this i just got this it's a beautiful sweater I was freezing cold, now I'm hot. You know, I just love this sweater from Land's End, 50% off. But someday it's going to be a rag in goodwill, maybe. Hopefully a long time from now. People have switched the price tags, and what is really valuable, what is tr- a true treasure is like <laughs> in the world's eyes. They don't care. Why are there empty seats in this room? Why? Why is there one empty seat? Why are not more people here to the Word of God and to worship the true living God? To say, this is treasure. Being in God's fellowship and, and, and uh, presence is true prosperity. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. The wise man said, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income there was a the story's been told i i i don't know if it's true or not it supposedly was a question asked of nelson rockefeller he was my one of my governors when when we lived in new york state rockefeller family you know and he was asked or someone was asked some wealthy man said how much how much is enough okay you're a what a billionaire how, How how much is enough at at one point? At what point do you say, ah, I have enough? An answer? Do you know the answer? Just a little bit more. Can't get no satisfaction, the Rolling Stones sang growing up. Can't get no satisfaction because things don't satisfy the human soul. Yeah, it's nice to have some stuff, but they don't give peace and joy and contentment. I've been to Uganda or Mexico or places where people have nothing, and yet they'll give you the shirt off their back. I've told the story where we've gone to Mexico and built 12 by 12 houses out of plywood with no floors. The dirt, the dirt was. We, I bet there's no one here that has a shed that that's kind of nasty. These people were grateful. I've walked into a, a house in Uganda. And it was just a tiny little place. Smaller than this stage up here. And the people had such great joy. Such great joy. And they would present a gift to us. Does your life reflect the priority of seeking after true wealth? Or is your drive still to lay up treasures on earth rather than treasures in heaven? Dr. Boyce said, Dr. Jim Montgomery Boyce years ago said, we, referring to today's Christians, are clearly too materialistic. God said that we are to be in the world but not of it. Instead, we are very much of the world and not even in it to a meaningful degree. He meant in it with a a, a Christian presence. Where was there prosperity and abundance here in our story? Where? In Goshen. And Egypt was languishing. Only in Goshen was there abundance. We must set our sights upon the celestial city. Fix our eyes upon Jesus not be looking back to the city of destruction as Israel would look back to Egypt in the wilderness. They'd look back over their shoulder with longing. Anyone else cut their teeth as a young Christian as I did on Keith Green's music? So you want to go back to Egypt? My man I bred. That was a great music, even if he was a flaming Arminian. I loved him dearly. He he, he was one of my disciples, so to speak, from afar. His album, No Compromise, is powerful. If you weren't raised on that, I feel sorry for you. Go back and listen to Keith Green. Well, Jacob lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years, but never became home. You remember that he told Pharaoh, his sons did, that We've come to sojourn in the land, to to live just here for a time. It was a a long time, as it turned out. I guess they didn't know that. But that never changed for Joseph. And so he said, "I, I must be buried with my fathers in the cave of Machpelah, the field of Ephron the Hittite, that place where Abraham bought as a burial ground for his family. And that was what? It was a sign to his descendants who were in Egypt for a long, long time as sojourners, that they would someday return to that land. God would, in fact, bring them back someday to that land. That was that confirmation. And so Jacob was a man of faith who believed God's promise. And he longed for that inheritance because the Lord was more important than anything the world offered. Can that be said of you and me? The Lord is more important than anything the world offers. Do you, use, do you use your days and your time to store for yourselves treasures in heaven? As Jesus said, do you long for the promised inher- inheritance above anything this world offers? Because to be a believer is to cling to Christ above all. To love Him above all. And the things of the kingdom become your priorities. That's how it was in the early church. Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. That were their priorities. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. A Roman official back in those days He once described the early church to the Emperor Hadrian in this way. They love one another. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they give it freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home and are happy as though he were a real brother. And in that dynamic of the early church and the priorities which they had, what was the result? We read in the book of Acts, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The church was growing. Missions was being done. It became, the church did, fruitful and numerous So we are called to evangelize the world because God has decreed that the earth must be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As the waters waters of Noah's flood once covered the world, so must the glory of God cover the earth. We are to engage in mission until Jesus comes again and all all the world worships the true God. We've got to ask ourselves, has the church today forsaken true prosperity for a cheap imitation? Have we sometimes switched the price tags? Instead of making disciples of the nations, we are satisfied with buildings and programs that are mainly after our own enjoyment and happiness. Those priorities I just read about The early church had are those are our priorities prayer doctrine fellowship mission that's the wealth of goshen and that aids the mission of the church as we invite those who are out there who are suffering in the famine to come come to our banquet Jesus is the life giver. He is the food giver. He is the life preserver. He gives this abundance. Right? He came that we would have an abundance. And so if our church is to thrive, if we are to become fruitful and numerous in our Egypt, then we must be fully the Lord's. Fully the Lord's fully committed to Him and to His kingdom with His priorities. We are called to fight as soldiers, not being distracted by worldly concerns, but to fight, to pray, worship, to proclaim the gospel, to go, to love one another. What happened later on in the first century? Not that many years later. After Christ, late in the years of of John, the apostle, Ephesus was rebuked for having left their first love. Pergamum tolerated false teaching, compromising the truth. Thyatira had grown indifferent to sin, maybe immorality. How true is that in the church today today? The Lord said that Sardis was dead, and Laodicea was lukewarm. Jesus was literally about to puke when He looked at Laodicea. If that won't concern you, I don't know what will. See, it's so easy, beloved, for our commitment to Christ to deteriorate and for our lives and churches to become just nominally Christian Just going through the motions, going after material blessings, rather than being zealous for the Lord's kingdom. What is Grace Covenant Church about? What will we be about in the coming months? What will our pastoral candidate, whoever he is, come and see And what will be His ministry? Let's not switch the price tags. Let's not substitute a cheap imitation for the real thing. We must live by faith, convinced of God's promise, serving Him in our Egypt together with His people, drawing strength through prayer and the Word of God, through mutual edification and encouragement unto mission, See, if you belong to Jesus, if you are truly His, He is your identity. You are Christ. You've been bought with a, with a price. You are not Egyptian. You are Israel. You are the family of Jacob, the family of Abraham. And we are called to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and we can In the power of God because he says, I will do it. So if God wills for us to have a new pastor, will you now commit again, maybe anew, to being faithful in prayer? Faithful in gathering for teaching and fellowship and worship? For the proclamation of God's word? for the expansion of God's kingdom, because if so, we can expect God will do it. And he, we can expect His faithfulness. But if not, we may well become Ephesus or Laodicea or Sardis. Beloved, by God's grace, let us be faithful that the Word of God may continue to increase and prevail mightily, that the church may be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, that the name of Jesus Christ would be famous in Dallas, in Paulding County, in Georgia, in the United States, in all the West, in the whole world. Twelve apostles turned the world upside down because they were faithful, because they were willing to go to the stake. For the name of Jesus, for the risen Christ, what might He do through this little group of ragtag believers called Grace Covenant Church, if we'd be faithful, if His priorities would be our priorities? May He do it. Amen.